Today is Wednesday, June 24th, 2020. On this day in 1973, 32 members of the Metropolitan Community Church were killed in an arson attack at the Upstairs Lounge in New Orleans, Louisiana. Until the horrific attack at the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, the Upstairs Lounge fire was the deadliest massacre of gay people in American history. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by our guest host, Kate Leonard, of the ParCast original Daily Quote. In every episode, Kate brings you a dose of inspiration and mindfulness, something we can all use a little more of. Thanks for joining me again, Kate. Anytime. Since starting Daily Quote, I've gained a new appreciation for what you do here on Today in True Crime, and I'm always happy to come back. Today, we're going to dive into the upstairs lounge arson attack. Kate's here to discuss some of the historical aspects of today's story, while I'll cover the narrative. And due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Now... Let's go back to New Orleans on June 24th, 1973, around 8 p.m. It was the final day of the New Orleans Pride Weekend, and the congregants of the Metropolitan Community Church, or MCC, were ready to party. As the members of America's first gay church, there was a lot to celebrate. At the time, festivities like Pride Weekend couldn't be held in public, but gay bars like the Upstairs Lounge, located in the French Quarter, gave the LGBTQ community in New Orleans a safe place to gather. On June 24th, the MCC hosted a Sunday service at the Upstairs, then threw a party for about 125 people with free food and beer. By 8 p.m., their numbers had dwindled to about 60, Most of the group was gathered around a piano, taking turns playing their favorite songs. Bartender Douglas Buddy Rasmussen was enjoying the show when he heard the downstairs buzzer cutting through the noise. Rasmussen was expecting someone, so he buzzed the visitor in through the downstairs entrance. Then, since he was busy making drinks, he sent his friend Luther Boggs to get the upstairs door. But when Boggs arrived at the stairwell, there wasn't a fellow reveler there to greet him. Instead, it was a towering wall of fire. The fresh infusion of oxygen caused the flames to burst into the lounge. The entire place went up like a tinderbox. As the blaze consumed the bar, Buddy Rasmussen shepherded about 20 people through a fire escape and onto the adjoining rooftops. Tragically, not everyone was able to follow him to safety. When Rasmussen didn't see anyone else heading for the door, he shut it behind him. The rest of the revelers were trapped inside. Their only hope was that the fire department would arrive in time to save them. Since the fire station was located only two blocks from the bar, it seemed possible. But even on a Sunday, the French Quarter was bustling. Crowds of people and stopped vehicles made it difficult for the fire engines to reach the scene. Eventually, the firefighters plowed through the cars blocking their way. 
but by the time they arrived at the bar, the upstairs was beyond saving. Trapped inside the building, desperate patrons tried to escape through the second-story windows. However, they were blocked with metal bars intended to keep over-enthusiastic revelers from falling into the street. The bars were spaced 14 inches apart, just wide enough for a few people to squeeze through and jump to safety, but not everyone could make it. The MCC's pastor, Reverend Bill Larson, tried to fit through, but he was too big to squeeze through the bars, so he pushed an air conditioning unit through a window instead. Larson made it about halfway through before the pane above him collapsed and trapped him. As the fire consumed him, people on the street could hear the reverend screaming in agony. The blaze was extinguished 16 minutes after the firefighters received the alarm, but the damage had been done. In the end, 29 people died in the fire. Another three succumbed to injuries they suffered that night. The damage was so extensive, many victims could only be identified via dental records. It was a tragedy of the highest magnitude, but in the fire's aftermath, it wasn't treated that way. Coming up, the disturbing fallout of the upstairs lounge massacre. Now back to the story. On the night of June 24, 1973, 32 people died after the upstairs lounge was the target of an arson attack. But following the attack, many officials failed to take it seriously. My guest host Kate is here to discuss the appalling reactions to the upstairs lounge massacre. Thanks, Vanessa. At the time, New Orleans was regarded as a fairly progressive city when it came to the LGBTQ community. But the reactions to the attack painted a very different picture. The morning after the fire, MCC founder Reverend Troy Perry went on a radio show to discuss the tragedy. But instead of treating the event with the solemnity it deserved, the radio host cracked a joke. He asked Perry, what do we bury them in? Fruit jars? The community's response wasn't much better. Some of the victims' families refused to claim their relatives' remains, and multiple churches wouldn't allow them to be buried on their grounds. Eventually, Reverend William Richardson of a local Episcopal church agreed to hold a small prayer service. About 80 people came to show their support. But many more than that voiced their disapproval through hate mail or complaints to the Episcopalian Bishop of New Orleans, Iveson B. Noland. The complaints were so numerous, Noland admonished Richardson for his Christian charity. But in this cloud of negativity, some rays of sunlight managed to shine through the darkness. Perhaps inspired by Richardson's kindness, St. Mark's United Methodist Church, located in the French Quarter, agreed to hold a larger memorial service. About 300 people attended. Following the service, the mourners had the option of exiting through a side door to avoid the press gathered outside. Instead, most of them elected to go out through the front. This action was regarded as a major step forward in advancing gay rights in New Orleans. But as the ensuing investigation into the attack showed, 
there was still a long way to go. Despite the horror that had been perpetrated, neither Louisiana's governor nor the mayor of New Orleans made public comments about what happened at the upstairs lounge. Most officials who did speak out were more concerned with updating the fire code than the loss of life. And there was significant prejudice in the ensuing police investigation. In the attack's aftermath, the city's chief of detectives said that identifying bodies would be difficult because some thieves hung out there. And you know this was a queer bar. Still, the investigation carried on. Witness accounts of how the blaze started were consistent with arson. One said it was like a fireball, and another compared it to a Molotov cocktail. The evidence backed it up. The police found an empty can of lighter fluid in the stairwell leading up to the bar. And eventually, a suspect emerged. According to one of the bar's patrons, a man named Roger Nunez was kicked out of the lounge for fighting with another customer just a few minutes before the fire. On his way out, Nunez allegedly threatened to burn it down. Police looked into Nunez and found that some of his acquaintances claimed he'd confessed to the crime. But unfortunately, Nunez had a seizure and was hospitalized before the police could question him. They weren't notified when Nunez was released, and by the time they tracked him down, there wasn't much time for the police to follow up. Nunez killed himself about a year after the fire. Today, the attack is thankfully regarded as the horrific tragedy it was. Progress has been made regarding LGBTQ rights, and pride is celebrated openly around the country. But as the devastating 2016 massacre at the Pulse nightclub showed, dangerous prejudice against America's LGBTQ community has yet to be erased. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks again, Kate, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You can find my new podcast, Daily Quote, on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. For another tragic story of arson, check out the Marjorie Congdon episodes of ParCast original, Female Criminals. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Alex Benedon, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Richardson.